Absolutely, yeah. So after I spent time in Bristol and Wales uh, in the southwest, I came up here uh, to study at university, and I was organ scholar at Trinity for three years, and then did a year as a choral scholar. Um, and in that time, had a, a just the most amazing experience with like-minded people, um, performing, um, singing, conducting, um, everything to do with music. It was just the, the most wonderful environment. Was that doing an MPhil or something? I eventually did that. Yeah. So so I did my undergrad years, and then I did um, an MPhil in composition. Is that what fascinates you most? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, studying uh, new music, writing new music, hearing it performed, uh, all of the various aspects to it. Um, and obviously I do love um, early music and everything's built on the foundation that's gone before. But there's something really exciting actually about you know, using those old ideas, whether it be techniques and forms that composers like Bach use, so structural items, and then taking that into a new, um, a new sound world. Um, or, or actually just saying, actually, we're going to subvert that and try something completely different that hasn't, well, that hasn't necessarily been tried that, uh, that often before. Your compositions to date, correct me if I'm wrong, are relatively short pieces. Um, in general, that's true. Uh, it's slightly more difficult to get performances of longer work, so they need to be done really to commission. So I've written a couple of chamber operas, but they're about between 20 and 30 minutes. Um, so significant works. I've got a couple in the pipeline for next year. Um, so there'll be a big uh, children's cantata for young voices and then a few soloists with chamber orchestra. Um, so that'll be done for the anniversary of the Mayflower, which uh, which is really exciting. And uh, all of the various sort of um, moving parts are now coming into place uh, for those performances. So that's really nice. Um, but on the whole, I mean, I've written a lot of music for choirs and they tend to be for functional uh, occasions. So whether that be a service, you need an anthem uh, or you need a, a setting of uh, some part of the liturgy that goes on in the college chapels and churches um, or for or for concerts uh, where people would like, you know, a sort of opening fanfare or maybe something more reflective in the middle of the programme. So a lot of what I've written is, is kind of to a brief uh, and often that is slightly shorter items that can be tackled by multiple forces. I did a feature many, many years ago on, I think it was Radio 4, um, with Michael Barclay. This is going oh, back to wonderful. the 1970s. So wow. he was starting out and it was actually, it ended up in the Sound Archives. It was called Composers and Cash. And oh, they, they almost conflict, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I, I must say I haven't heard that one. Um, but but it's, uh, do you mean sort of, sort of what physical cash getting paid for doing what you do? Mm. Yeah, okay, well, I mean, that's uh, that's always, that's the thing about music, actually, in general at the moment. It's, um, well, not at the moment, it's always been tricky. And there have been different models, you know, um, many years ago, there was a, a sort of patronage model where people would pay for uh, certain items, whether that be for their for their family or as a gift um, or uh, to an institution or a person. Nowadays, um, increasingly, you're having to uh, sort of work quite hard to achieve funding for things. Um, you know, times are slightly um, harder in that respect. Um, but there's still a fantastic appetite for new music uh, and for live music. And so as long as um, that remains, then actually composers will continue to, to write and invent and create. Because there are a lot of vocal ensembles coming out. Your own Gesualdo uh, Six, who are going to be performing in July in the Cambridge Summer Music Festival. Uh, there's also Voches Eight and the, the King Singers, of course, of old, who took one of your six relatively recently, Pat Dunnocky, um, and, and many others. Uh, there really seem to be an enormous number 
are there enough opportunities to perform? Well, thankfully, our diary uh, is getting busier. So, so I'd say that yes, there are enough opportunities. Um, it's it's easier when we're when you're a smaller group. Uh, so even a few people makes a difference because you think about the, the the travel costs, and then also putting people up. We often stay uh, with local people, so in homestays, that's a really wonderful way to see the world because uh, hotels can often look quite uh, similar. Eventually, um, you know, the travel lodge off the A14 here looks very similar to somewhere in the, the the United States. But actually, when you stay in someone's house, you get an amazing sense of what they know about the local area. They can tell you which restaurants to go to, which restaurants not to go to, where to go for a walk. Um, I try for, for, for my group to, to try and make the schedules as relaxed as possible because increasingly it's difficult for ensembles who are bigger to make uh, things that don't start at six in the morning uh, that's the call time at the airport and then you return back the next day um, early in the morning again so that they can become pretty punishing especially for singers when you're reliant on your instrument um, being healthy and um, uh, flying or traveling is, is not so good uh, for the instrument so actually the, the amount of rest time is really important and sadly the finances don't often work out so that that can be in the best state possible. And your diary does actually take you not merely to Europe, but to, to several other continents. Yeah, it does. Uh, and we were lucky to go to Canada last summer. Um, and we're finding uh, ourselves in demand across the world. I'm not quite sure why that is uh, or how that's come about. I mean, we have a good name recognition. I think that's <laughs> it's not something that we, we, we sort of meant to do. Uh, but we had to put something on the poster, and we did. We, we did our first concert in Trinity, Cambridge. So Cambridge is very much our our home city. Uh, we we performed all around uh, the city to start with. We we did our first sort of ten or eleven concerts here before we eventually branched out to Kingston, Cambridgeshire, <laughs> uh, and then finally to London, and then we uh, sort of went from there. Um, mm. So so it's it's been a it's been a journey that's actually um, recently moved quite fast we've been going for five years now um, and you know we're doing sort of 60 70 concerts a year so it's uh, it's rather a lot of fun i saw even beirut on your list yeah that's in december i don't know how that came about either but i think i think a lot of this happens um because of the uh, sort of advancement of social media youtube we've got a lot of videos on there um, and we did quite a few in Ely Cathedral, so again, keeping it local. Um, Ely's an amazing space to sing. We've done videos in there under the octagon, uh, which is, has a wonderful acoustic, because you're basically singing into in the middle of the entire building. Um, and for voices, I mean, you know, these places have largely remained, un- remained unchanged for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, so actually, uh, even more so, sort of six, seven hundred years ago, you can imagine the effect that singing um, would have um, on people in there, and actually still does to this day. And of course, it has the wonderful Lady Chapel, which uh, John Rutter made many of his discs uh, in that place, and c- uh, composers and conductors have um, longed to work in there because it is just such a special place. I first interviewed Sarah MacDonald there many years ago, and it has just got a magical feel as you speak or sing or whatever. Absolutely, and and she's done some marvellous work with the choir there uh, and with commissioning new music um, and sort of really upholding the standards. Uh, and uh, it, it's lovely to see. I mean, often when we go and... Uh, well, we've made videos there. The the choir have been working alongside us, uh, so we've we've heard them, and they seem to be going from strength to strength. So that's really nice to see. 
Excellent. Well, um, you also have a job as conductor of the Cambridge Chorale, and they're in concert uh, before your festival appearance. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with them. Well, I, I, I saw an advert, really, for, for, for one of their concerts, and then a few months later saw an advert for uh, the fact they were looking for a new musical director. And it tied in nicely, uh, because I was staying in Cambridge a little bit longer to do this MPhil, Um and uh, they're a lovely group of people because I didn't know that before I started but I had a bit of an inside scoop from a couple of members who I knew from uh, from Bristol uh, who'd actually moved up uh, and they said oh you know what why don't you go for it and and I thought okay well this will be really exciting um, I remember that the, the audition was on the same day as something else that was happening at Trinity it was one of the sort of end of term parties that people do just to say goodbye to each other so I was sort of going between the two trying <laughs> to just keep a straight you know straight head uh, and um, we did some nice music in the audition and so when when I started with them in September a few years ago we, we sort of started with uh, music of Bach um, and we've done a lot of music of Master of the Queen's music, Judith Weir and there's a really nice um, sort of sense of friendship within the group and also a sense of let's try something different so we, we recently did the B minor mass uh, of J.S. Bach with the Academy of Ancient Music uh, which was uh, sort of to celebrate the choir's 25th anniversary um, uh, and also just a fantastic opportunity for me to conduct that piece and for the choir to sing it with such wonderful players. I mean, that was a real highlight. Um, and so trying to program a season around that is quite tricky because where do you go from uh, the majesty of a piece like that? Well, we've gone uh, very close uh, to the present day and we've got some really nice works um, for the concert in Emmanuel United Reformed Church on the 11th of July as part of Cambridge Summer Music. So a, a really nice, um, upbeat programme of contemporary music by composers like Jonathan Dove, uh, who's often in Cambridge because his pieces are very popular um, and he comes down here a lot. Uh, Bob Chilcott, uh, John Rutter, who's local, of course, to here and spent a lot of time at Clare College. Um, and piano music by Judith Weir and uh, Thea Musgrave, um, both fantastic composers, and we could have done some of their choral works, uh, but actually we've got Toby Hessian um, on board, um, who's a marvellous pianist, pianist who's um, uh, appeared on this show. He has indeed, um, and and is about to disappear. Well, indeed, so we thought we'd catch him while he's while he's here, um, but he's going to London, so I'll probably see more of him, uh, and he, he's uh, making a great early start to his career. Uh, it's really exciting to see, so it's nice to be able to work with someone of such high calibre uh, for a project like this. Mm. The Gisaldo Six have also changed focus, really, within the five years you've been running. Yeah, I mean, w we started off very much with uh, the music of Carlo Gesualdo, an Italian um, prince who um, wrote some extremely interesting music. A lot of it um, sort of was uh, interesting because it's so chromatic, so um, full of anguish. Uh, you can tell that in the music, I mean, partly for the guilt that he felt uh, throughout his life and partly um, just through his um, experimental compositions. I mean, you can you can hear um, some something very modern in the music that you don't get uh, in composers from the Renaissance so often. Um, and composers more recently, such as Stravinsky, have, have turned to that music and gone, wow, we really think that's quite modern, um, and have tried to find ways of incorporating his language into their own pieces. Because, of course, his great tragedy was that he, he found his wife and her lover in Fragrante Delecto at one time, didn't they? And he murdered them. 
Yeah, yes, he did. Well, I mean, it, it, there's some conjecture as to who actually murdered them, but regardless oh. of that, he's guilty. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that, that was a terrible thing. And, and in many ways, um, what I, I, to be honest, I didn't know that story before we first performed the piece. Then, it, then of course, you know, you do your research, you write the program notes, and you go, oh, God, this is pretty mm. horrible. Um, I mean, you can look at it several ways, but the music itself has stood the test of time. Um, lots of choirs uh, perform it, um, and we found ourselves just completely taken aback by um, the, the music and by the vocal writing. And it was a really special experience for us because we sat round uh, the table, sort of rehearsing this one to a part. Um, in choirs, often you have four, maybe five voices singing the same line of music. There's a real ownership to having one person singing their own line. And that's what was so exciting for us. It was a different thing. Cambridge doesn't have so much of that. But, of course, that's how people like Vocher's Eight and the King Singers came out of these places, by doing that kind of music. Mm. And you had the same format, if that's the right uh, phrase or lineup, of uh, a couple of countertenors. Uh, two tenors, is it? One baritone, one bass. That's right. It's very similar to the King Singers, except we do have a second tenor. So... Um, that gives us a little more flexibility with some music and gives us a little less flexibility with others. So it, it changes the sound slightly. Um, I often step in to sing as well. So not only does that give us the opportunity to perform slightly larger scale works, um, it also, uh, I sing the lowest part, so it, it then adds another sort of dimension to the to the sound and then the chord can be built up because, of course, you know, composers like Bach built everything up from the bass. It's nice to be able to feel that foundation and to have an extra voice on it um, almost feels a bit like um, a basso continuo when you had a, a, an instrument such as the cello playing that extra bass line. Mm. Right. So we've talked about what's coming up in the future for you. You're going to be travelling quite a lot. Um, more recordings? Because I believe for your first album, we talked about composers in cash. Uh, making a CD costs money as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. We were lucky because a lot of our supporters helped us with that first CD, um, English Motets, which was released in April 2018. Um, had a really good uh, following um People had come to our concerts, we did a lot in the UK, and we'd um, had a good support network built up over about three years. People were asking where our CD was from the very first tour that we did. Um, most people are aware that CDs cost a lot of money to make. Most people are not aware that the recording industry is kind of on its knees, well, the classical music industry, and it's, it's very tough. Um, and so... All the help that we had from people giving, you know, anything from five to to fifty pounds, um, added up, and it meant that we could make this CD, um, you know, in in Cambridge with our professional um, recording engineer and producer. Y you need the team, and it takes a lot of effort after the initial sessions to put the whole thing together. So that came out. I had a really nice reviews, and so we we're now uh, in a, a position of having a. I feel like a sort of contract with Hyperion to make a lot of discs over the next five years that we're really excited about. Excellent. Well, I wish you every success for the future. Thank you. And um, look forward to seeing you both uh, with the Cambridge Chorale and with the Gisbaldo Six. Thanks for having me.